with me to the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 5 tonight. Estamos esta noche en Daniel capítulo 5. We've been studying through this important book. Hemos estado estudiando a través de este libro uh, importante. Y estamos leyendo casi cada texto, cada verso en el capítulo. We've been reading almost every verse in the book. And so tonight we'll do a little bit of that also. Is it all right if we read the Bible at church? And is it all right if we study the Bible at church? Hemos estado leyendo grandes porciones porque es muy bueno leer la Biblia. Y dice el apóstol Pablo a Timoteo que no deje al lado el leer la escritura públicamente. Paul said to Timothy, do not neglect the public reading of scripture. And so we've been reading the word of God together as we study. Now tonight I'm going to do what I've been doing, but I want to point out to you this is a good way to study your Bible. As you are reading the Bible, it's in, in particular in a book like the book of Daniel, there will arise a theme or a, a message that, that goes through the entire portion. But then there are also different topics that arise And when those topics arise, uh, you have an opportunity to go and study them in depth, to go and uh, get more knowledge, more information about that topic. And so that's called exegesis. When we exegete the scripture, we are extracting uh, the meaning from the text. We're letting the text direct our study. And that's the approach we've been uh, taking here uh, as we do an exposition of the, of the book of Daniel. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't just read the Bible just to uh, maybe satisfy some quota, but rather read the Bible as a student and ask questions. And when you ask questions of the scripture, you'll find that other parts of the scripture will give information to answer those questions. Estamos haciendo lo que llamamos un exégesis de la Biblia, uh, texto por texto. Estamos extrayendo el significado de ello. Quiero uh, mencionar que a veces en las porciones de la Biblia hay un mensaje, un tema central, pero también ocurren menciones de temas que pueden ser de interés para nuestro estudio. Y cuando usted vea uno de esos temas, uh, estudielo, escudriñelo, puede llevarlo a otras porciones de la Biblia. Pero es importante entender uh, o uh, desear buscar más información sobre eso. Y cuando hay una pregunta, si usted no tiene la respuesta, busque en otra porción de la Biblia y la Biblia le va a dar la información. The Bible interprets itself. And so if you ever run into a part of the Bible that you don't understand, just go to another part of the Bible. Don't go to the newspaper. Don't go to the horoscope. Don't go to your, uh, your friend. Go to the Bible. The Bible will interpret itself. And when you come up on a question you don't have an answer to, start searching in the scriptures, and the scriptures will point you to the correct interpretation of what you're reading. And uh, so as we study tonight, we'll be uh, practicing that as we have been in the time, uh, in the last few chapters, uh, or the last few Bible studies, we've been spending time together. Uh, this type of Bible study is important because you are building on your knowledge of scripture and uh, as you read the word of God, 
The Holy Spirit will highlight things, point out things to you that you should study. Oftentimes when a topic emerges in the Bible, then you have to go to other parts of the Bible to figure out uh, what does the Bible say about this topic. And we're going to do a bit, little bit of that tonight. Uh, but I want you just to understand that that is an important and a useful practice when you study the Bible to go into other parts of Scripture and discover what God says about it. Last time, we studied on the fourth chapter and Nebuchadnezzar's pride. La última vez estudiamos sobre el capítulo cuatro y el uh, orgullo del rey de Babilonia. Now we're in chapter five and we've now reached the second king of the four kings mentioned in the book of Daniel. Ahora llegamos al capítulo cinco. Vamos a leer de uno de los cuatro reyes. Ahora el segundo rey que ocurre en, uh, en el libro de Daniel. And those four kings are Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, uh, Darius, and Cyrus. And those four kings are the four kings that Daniel served. Estos uh, cuatro reyes son los reyes que Daniel sirvió. And so here in chapter 5, we now come to Belshazzar. It says, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. And they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple and the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Notice that's a little g, God. These, these are false gods. Suddenly, the fingers of, the man's, of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the uh, plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that was writing. And the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. And the king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription, and explain its interpretation to me, shall be clothed with purple, and have a necklace of gold around his neck, and have authority as the third ruler of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they did not, could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet, the banquet hall, because of the words of the king and his nobles. And the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods in the days of, uh, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom 
like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because of the extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and the solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Then Daniel now summoned and he declared the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is the one of the exiles of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men, the conjurers, were brought in before me, that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then, Dari then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself and give rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O King, the Most High God, granted sovereign grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wishes, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became proud that he behaved arrogantly. He was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts. His dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. And he was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his, hou of his house before you. And you and your nobles, and your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them, and have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hands are your life and breath, and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and the inscription was written out. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight. For the word which is life-giving and powerful, it is inspired and it is 
our bread tonight. As we come to the word, I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint this congregation that they might receive the word and that it might bear fruit in their life and in their heart. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. We could use as a subject for this uh, chapter in Daniel, the party's over. There is a sudden uh, shift that takes place in this chapter as a result of a manifestation from God. I want to give you the outline for this chapter. It's actually right here in, in verse 23. Le voy a dar el bosquejo para este capítulo que se encuentra aquí en el verso 23. Notice that in verse 23, which is kind of a long verse, but right there toward the end, he says, which do not see, hear, or understand. And underline those three words. Uh, el bosquejo aquí está en el verso 23. Es un verso bastante largo, pero hay tres palabras ahí que le dice eh, Daniel al rey de los dioses de el, del rey que no ven, no oyen y no entienden. I'll subraya ahí esas tres palabras. And then go back into chapter uh, 5, verse 5. And there you will see the phrase, the king saw. En el verso 5, ahí va a ver la frase, el rey vio. And then in verse 14, you will see, I have heard. And so we see that the king heard. Verso 14, ahí dice, he oído. Y luego en el verso 22, now in verse 22, and it says, you knew. That refers to understanding. Ahí dice que él sabía. So underline those three words. Verse 5, he saw. Verse 14, he heard, and verse 22, he knew. And so you understand then, verse 23 is a summary of the fact that the king saw, heard, and knew about God. En el verso 23, entonces entendemos que el rey vio, oyó, y conoció las cosas de Dios. And so let us begin then at the beginning of this chapter, two topics emerge right here at the beginning, and that is that Belshazzar is, a, is having a feast. He's having a party. Uh, el rey está teniendo una fiesta. This was not a small party. Esta no era una fiesta pequeña. One thousand of his nobles uh, were invited. Mil de sus, uh, de sus uh, líderes habían sido invitados a esta fiesta. And we notice a couple of things. First of all, there was a lot of wine being consumed. Primero vemos la gran consumación o consumción de vino en esta fiesta. And then we see that it was the type of, of party that Daniel was not a part of. Y luego vemos que Daniel no era parte de esta fiesta. He was, uh, of, of course, a man who walked in uprightness, walked in holiness. And so he didn't attend parties in the, world, in the world's sense of party. El entonces Daniel era un hombre recto y él no era parte ni participe en las fiestas que el mundo da. The Bible says that one of the works of the flesh is carousing or partying. 
Una de las obras de la carne es la, son las fiestas uh, de acuerdo al libro de Gálatas. And I'm not talking about your three-year-old's birthday party, but I'm talking about parties that include the use of drugs and alcohol and uh, illicit sex and music that is not pleasing to God. These types of things which are very common in certain cultures, uh, particularly in the uh, youth culture or college culture in America. And uh, Belshazzar uh, is throwing a party of significant size in which there's a lot of wine being consumed. And so we, we ask the question then, what does the Bible say about wine, about alcohol, and what does it say about parties? And we, I already mentioned that in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says that partying is a work of the flesh, or, or carousing is a work of the flesh. Las fiestas entonces son una obra de la carne. No es algo que agrada a Dios. A una fiesta donde hay el consumo de alcohol, de drogas, de el sexo, de música uh, del mundo. No agradan a Dios estas cosas. These things don't please God. And they are works of the flesh. In other words, they only edify or satisfy the flesh. Solamente tienen en su uso, su propósito, la edificación de la carne. Y a la carne no puede agradar a Dios. The Bible says that the flesh cannot please God. We understand that? Say amen. Now, Belshazzar is the, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Este rey es el nieto del de rey uh, en el cual, el cual leímos el capítulo 4. Here it calls him his father uh, because in those times the, the term was used just like the God of your father Abraham and the God of your father Isaac, referring also to the grandfather. And when we read about the queen coming into the room, that's Belshazzar's grandmother. Uh, aquí vemos cuando se menciona el rey que su, su abuelo era el, el rey Nebuchadnezzar. Y cuando vemos que se menciona la reina, es la, la abuela de este rey, la esposa del, uh, del rey anterior en Babilonia. The reason that's significant or important is because when you think about what we studied last time and the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was uh, out of his kingdom for seven years because he lost his mind and became like a beast. Uh, you have to realize or understand that his grandson would have been aware of that situation, possibly witnessed that situation. And so uh, this story is connected to that fact. Because although he had knowledge of God's power and, and God's manifest wisdom, he was choosing a completely different lifestyle. And he, he brings wine into this party And so the Bible speaks about wine in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. In Proverbios 21, la Biblia habla de el vino. And we read there uh, what God says. I'm going to give you three references out of the book of Proverbs. So look at Proverbs 20 and verse 1. And we'll read what the scripture says there. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not Wise. Ahí dice uh, el proverbio 20, verso 1, que el vino es, uh, o hace burla de uno. 
y uh, que trae pleito. And so we see there the two uh, consequences of wine uh, being used in, in this uh, feast is that it's going to make a mockery of the king and it is going to bring about a great conflict, except in this case that conflict will be between the king and God. And any of you who came out of that lifestyle, you understand that almost uh, always when alcohol is present, somebody will be made a fool of or become a fool. The Bible tells us quite clearly that wine is a mocker. I've seen people uh, at, uh, at receptions that have gone from looking completely normal and sane to just totally ridiculous. We've all seen that, haven't we? And then we read what we read in Proverbs 23, verse 31 through 33. And here the Bible takes us a little step further, and it says, Do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Verse 32. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Verse 33. Your eyes will be strange, will will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. Now notice what he says there. He says, don't look upon wine. What he's saying is, in a, in a poetic sense, is don't be attracted or don't be lured by the attraction of alcohol. Aquí él dice que no mires al vino cuando es, es rojo en el vaso. Uh, y eso está hablando de no ser uh, atraído por el vino. And everyone who has ever dealt with addiction of any kind, whether it's alcohol or drugs or donuts, right? We all know that, that the addiction, the temptation comes first through the eyes. That, that lure of uh, that temptation. And so the, the, the writer of Proverbs here, who happens to be Solomon, understands that, that wine is that enticer that brings you in to the snare and to the bondage that comes with uh, the use of alcohol and the use of, of other, uh, other things in your life to try to satisfy and fill the need of your life. And so we are warned against it, he says then in the next verse, because it's going to strike like a viper. It might seem attractive, beautiful, alluring, uh, enticing, but it has a dark side. It has a a, uh, a vicious wound that comes with it. And those who know uh, its power and those who have come under its influence know how devastating that bite can be. And so when, when I hear Christians trying to be smart and, and uh, debate, you know, how far can you go, how much can you drink, uh, and so on and so forth, I just simply warn them to stay away completely. I've never personally seen any good thing come out of alcohol or uh, wine or drugs. You don't have to say amen to that if you don't want, but I'm going to say amen because uh, there, is, there is no good that comes from it. It won't build your family or your life or your marriage uh, through it. Now, uh, look at Proverbs 31, verse 4 and 5. Proverbs 31, Verso 4 y 5, aquí uh, otro, otro uh, mensaje aquí del de libro de Proverbios, another message here from Proverbs, is that it is, not, uh, it is not for kings 
and it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. Verse 5, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Now God says this. Now if you want to get into the debate, you can. But here's what God says. If I put you on a high level, I want you sober. I want you to be able to think with your right mind and not forget my word and not forget the people I called you to serve. Well, guess what? Every single one of you has been seated with Christ in heavenly places. God wants you sober. And God wants you to know and recognize what he has said and remember what he has said and to be able to serve the people that he has said. And so he says it's not fitting for a king to drink. The last thing we want is a drunk president or a drunk king or a drunk sheriff or a drunk Christian. So Belshazzar is partying and he is drinking. And what happens when the wine gets uh, into him, uh, I'll read you a little, a little quote that someone wrote that I think is a good description of this because it's also a good warning. They said, first you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes you. And so Belshazzar takes a drink, and then the drink takes a drink, and now he thinks he's bigger than God. And in this state of mind, because he wants to impress his guests, he says, go to the, uh, to the warehouse, to the archives, and bring me the sacred vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, what a specific act of uh, rebellion against God. Entonces, él ahora está embriagado, está tomando, y él dice, vayan y tráiganme los vasos de la casa de Jehová. Esos uh, elementos sagrados que se habían tomado de la casa de Dios, que quizá uh, el rey anterior había puesto en una en una forma de, de uh, museo al, alguna uh, archivo ahora él lo va a usar para mostrar que él es más poderoso que el dios de los judíos he wants to show himself to be greater than the god of the hebrews and let me just remind you and and warn us as a people that you don't ever want to pick a fight with God. Mire, el que, el que pelea con Dios no gana. And so they bring him the vessel from the house of God, and they take these holy things which have been consecrated in the tabernacle and consecrated in the temple with the blood of the Lamb. Elements of absolute holy and sacred ritual and were brought into this drunken party and God takes offense God takes it personally cuando ellos toman estos vasos que han, quienes habían sido consagrados con la sangre con, con uh, la sangre de los corderos en el templo y en el tabernáculo y ellos los traen a esta fiesta para consumir su vino 
y consumir uh, su, uh, su poder y su, uh, su orgullo. Ahora Dios lo toma como algo personal. And the Bible says suddenly, everyone says suddenly. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster wall. De repente, dice el verso 5, que aparecieron, aparecieron los dedos de, como la mano de un hombre y comenzaron a escribir sobre la pared. You ever heard the phrase, the writing is on the wall? That's where it comes from. What do, we, what do we mean when we say the writing is on the wall? We mean the party's over. And all of a sudden, the king is as sober as you can get. De repente ya el rey está completamente sobrio. Because God has written on the wall. Dios ha escrito sobre la pared. You know, in the Bible, there are three times when God writes. No doubt many times, but mentioned in the Bible, God writes. First of all, in the book of Exodus, God writes on Mount Sinai. He writes the Ten Commandments with his own hand. Tres veces en la Biblia Dios escribe, y uh, en el libro de Éxodo, Él escribe uh, los diez mandamientos con su dedo, con su mano. He writes his holy and sacred law. Él escribe su santa y perfecta ley. And then in the book of John, luego en Juan capítulo 8, verso 8, en John 8, 8, God uh, in Christ writes on the dirt. Ahí vemos que Jesús escribe sobre la tierra. And he writes, perhaps, this was when the woman who was caught in adultery was brought to him. Ese es el caso de la mujer que fue tomada en adulterio. Se la traen a Jesús y él escribe sobre la tierra. Most likely he wrote on the, on the dust or the dirt the Ten Commandments. And then he asked them, he who has no sin... Cast the first stone. Party was over. And here we see him writing on the wall to a pagan king. Now we we saw the, the, the outline of the chapter. So here's the first one. It says that suddenly the finger of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster wall on the king's palace. And the king saw. Everyone say the king saw. The back of the hand that did the writing. Now I want you to focus on that word because later on the, the prophet says to him that you have these gods that can't see but you can see. God makes you responsible for what you have seen. Dios te hace responsable por lo que has visto. Cada uno ha visto a Dios uh, moverse en una forma u otra. All of us have seen God work in one way or another. Not the same way, perhaps not in the same fashion or the same uh, magnitude, but all of us have borne witness to the move of God. And here's what I want you to see. When, when you have the, uh, a vision or insight or revelation from God, what should you do? ¿Qué debe uno hacer cuando hay una una visión, un vistazo de la obra de Dios en nuestra vida. Look at Exodus chapter 3, 
verse 3. Mira Éxodo 3.3. The scripture says there that Moses was taking his, his sheep, his flock, out to the, uh, to the pasture on the west side of the, of the mountain. And it says, so, and what did Moses see? He saw a burning bush. Look what it says. So Moses said, I must turn aside now to see this marvelous sight, but the bush is not burned up. So what do you do when you see God? Your next step ought to be to inquire of God. To draw near to God. Cuando Moisés ve que Dios se aparece en esta zarza ardiendo, ¿el qué hace? Comienza a inquirir, comienza a acercarse a Dios. I want you to think about how many times God has shown you something, said something to you, or um, been, been present in your life in some way, and, and have you taken that opportunity to inquire, to dig deeper, to go in and figure out what is God saying to me. That ought to be the response of every believer in this house tonight. As God manifests himself in our life, whether it's through the word, whether it's through uh, worship, whether it's through your Bible study, whether it's through a miracle that takes place, and especially when you, when you have a sense that God is trying to get your attention about something, we need to build into our life the habit of going and inquiring, going deeper with God. I told you some time ago, I'll mention it again, that I was, uh, I was at the airport, we're going through security, and I'm just kind of loading up the suitcase on the conveyor belt and going through uh, the metal detector and all this, and I hear one of the TSA agents say, ask and it, it you shall receive. That's weird. I never seen, never heard a TSA agent quote the Bible. Later that day, I'm having a conversation with somebody on the phone, and they said randomly, "Ask and you shall receive." Now, usually when God speaks to me, He speaks to me in patterns, and when I see a pattern, then I know God is saying something. Now, what do I what do I do? Do I do like Bill Shazer, or do I do like Moses? What do you do? Moses saw the burning bush. He said, hey, God's trying to get my attention. I got to get close. I want to understand. I want to hear. I want to know. I want to inquire of the Lord. Ese tiene que ser el patrón de nuestra vida. Cuando sentimos que Dios quiere hablar con nosotros o nos está diciendo algo, debemos acercarnos to him. Hacer más espacio para Él en nuestra vida. Make more space for God in your life during that season so that God can speak into your life. How many things had Belshazzar seen? He saw his grandfather turn against God and become prideful and saw God humble him and saw God once again forgive him and raise him up and make him powerful again. That should be enough. He might have even seen the three Hebrews thrown into the fiery furnace. If he didn't see it, he surely heard about it. So he has a witness in his life, and yet he does not inquire about God. And that's why the things that are about to happen by the end of this chapter 
are going to happen because God had already given him sufficient time to see the hand of God working in his life, and yet he ignored it. And so what does he do when he sees the writing on the wall? Listen, uh, uh, I'll read it again. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. It says that his face grew pale, and his thoughts were alarming, and his joints went out of, uh, went slack, and his knees began to knock together. He was in big trouble, and he knew it. Se puso pálido el rey. Se le acabó el gozo, el canto, el baile, el vino, todo se le acabó. His blood went out of his body, as it were. Y uh, los, uh, sus, sus huesos como que salieron de su lugar y sus rodillas comenzaron a pegar. And so what does he do? He goes and he calls all the witches and the, the gurus and the warlocks to come and try to help him, and no one has an answer for him. El llama los brujos y los hechiceros y los sabios según ellos, ni uno de ellos tiene la habilidad de darle la respuesta que él quiere. I just want you to notice this pattern. Almost every chapter of the book of Daniel, you have man trying to solve a problem without God. They go to all the wrong things. Isn't that just like man? Without God, we're going to all the wrong places to find answers. Ese es el curso humano. Siempre el hombre va al lugar equivocado para buscar la respuesta a sus problemas. The answer is Christ. La respuesta es Cristo. God has the answer for your life. Dios tiene la respuesta para tu vida. Say that with me. God has the answer for me. Someone said, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for answers in all the wrong places. And, and so this, the queen comes in, because no doubt she has heard on Facebook and Instagram, there's already pictures of the writing of the wall. And she was not at the party either. And she comes to the party, and she finds the king, and the Bible says he grew paler. Because no one could answer his dilemma, and she says, there's a man who does, who does have an answer. The same man that had an answer for your grandfather is the man that has an answer for you. Listen, if you have Christian grandparents and Christian parents, you have the same answer this evening. The same God that was answering their petitions and healing their sicknesses and delivering them is still at work in your life. Come on, somebody. It's the same God, the same Jesus, the same deliverer. You're never going to get smarter than, than your parents or than your grandparents when it comes to who they found as a savior. If they found Jesus, they found the maximum. If they found Jesus, they found the whole, the whole hope of man. Now, I just want you to notice in this a couple of things. That first of all, don't ever 
Don't ever live your life without a witness, somebody around who knows the things of God. If you are not living for God and, and uh, you're trying to get away from God, I want to just encourage you to stay close to somebody in your life that has a connection to God. Because when you get into trouble, they'll know who to call. And I know that the last thing that someone wants when they're trying to run from God is somebody is going to tell them to call on God. But that may be your last hope. We need a witness in our life. Necesitamos un testigo en nuestra vida que nos recuerde de lo que Dios ha hecho. Y de cómo Dios ha obrado y cómo Dios puede obrar en nuestra vida. Now, the second thing I want you to notice in this paragraph, we see here not only the witness, but look at the testimony of Daniel. Mire aquí el testimonio que dan de Daniel. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God dwells. Qué poderoso testimonio. Hay un hombre en tu reino en quien habita el espíritu del Dios Santo. Can we say that about you tonight? Podrán decir eso de nosotros. Can they say that about us? That there is a man or woman in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Que hay un hombre o una mujer en este mundo en quien vive el Espíritu de Dios. And then in verse 12 we're told that this is a man of an extraordinary en verso 12 dice que es un hombre de un espíritu extraordinario. A man of an excellent spirit. There's something different about him, something that has set him apart. It is the spirit of God dwelling and working through the life of Daniel. Daniel's not even in the room yet, but we already know why he wasn't in the room, why he wasn't in this party, because he had chosen to be God's man versus the, king, the king's man. Daniel tiene un tremendo y poderoso testimonio. Y él no ha llegado a este, a este palacio, no ha llegado al salón. Pero sabemos por qué él no estaba ahí. Porque él no tenía el mismo espíritu. Listen, when you can go to parties and, and uh, places where there's uh, alcohol and drunkenness and drug use and not be bothered by it, you need to run to God, friend, because when you have the Spirit of God in your life, you won't be comfortable in that environment. Cuando, cuando el Espíritu de Dios habita en uno, no tiene, no tiene paz en una fiesta como esta. No va a estar cómodo o a gusto en ese lugar. Why wasn't Daniel there? Because he had an extraordinary spirit. He had a different spirit. And people of a different spirit go to different places. They have different uh, intentions. They have different, different uh, perspective. And they have a different means of satisfying the needs of their life. That's why you're at church tonight, isn't it? Because you have an extraordinary spirit. A different spirit. An excellent spirit. Something inside of you pulls you, draws you. Uh, uh, there's a hunger in you for the house of God. Be careful when you no longer have a desire to be in the house of God. 
to hear the word of God, to be in a, in a house of worship. Be careful when you no longer sense the drawing toward the things of God. Friend, you are in a perilous place. The backslider doesn't just leave church one Sunday and decide, I'm never coming back. It happens gradually. Slowly they get away. It's like a boat that's loosely tied to the docks. It slowly loosens up. Before they know it, they're wandering and, uh, and floating aimlessly through life. And they're wondering, how did I get away from God? How did I get away from church? How did I get away from the word? Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. These are the things that were said about him. That he is a man in whom there is illumination, insight, wisdom, knowledge, explanation of enigmas, the solver of difficult problems. Now in verse 13, Daniel is brought into the room. In verso 13, Daniel llega. And when Daniel comes in, the king insults him. Cuando Daniel entra, el rey lo insulta. Now you would think that if he was pale, his, his joints were out of place and his knees were knocking together, that he would be more humble about the solution. But most likely this king hated the Jews. Why else would he go right for their holy vessels. And so guess who's going to come to his rescue? It's a Jew, and it is a man of God. He insults him by saying, aren't you one of the people that my father brought out of Judea and made you a slave? Now this is why this, this, this uh, study is called Dare to be a Daniel. Because it's easy when you are insulted, when you are mistreated, when you're not given your place, to want to put them in their place. But Daniel is not focused on, on the insult, and he's not focused on even the money that he's offering him. He said, I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to give you the third place in all the kingdom. Daniel's not interested in that. Look at verse 14. He said, now I have heard about that spirit of the gods is, that is in you. And that illumination and insight and extraordinary wisdom has been found in you. So the king not only saw the hand of God, but he also heard of the works of God. And here's the, here's the challenge for us that as believers. The Bible says that my sheep hear my voice. So we have access to hear from God. How many of you hear from God? ¿Cuántos oyen de Dios? Jesús dijo, mis ovejas oyen mi voz y me siguen. Belshazzar could have avoided this nightmare if he had listened to what he heard. El rey pudiera haber evitado este problema si él hubiera escuchado lo que oyó. How many of you have ever heard but didn't listen? ¿Cuántos escucharon pero no oyeron? O oyeron pero no escucharon. No pusieron atención. Look at Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 and 5. 
Isaías 50, verso 4 y 5, teaches us how we should, how we should be, how we should live. The Bible says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. What a blessing, what an extraordinary advantage the believer has. That the, the, Isaiah says, he's given me the ear of a disciple, the ear of a learner. He's opened my ear. You can't have an, an openness uh, like that toward the voice of God until you have become a believer. El, el creyente, dice Isaías, tiene el oído de un discípulo. Sabe oír, sabe aprender, sabe poner atención. Y, y dice, cuando él despertó mi, oí, mi oído, yo le obedecí. No fui, de, no fui desobediente a su voz. He says, I was not disobedient to his voice. How do you know you've heard from God and that you have, that you have, been given direction from God, you learn by constant communion and relationship with God to hear and recognize his voice. He says, my sheep know my voice and they follow. They obey. Mis ovejas oyen mi voz y me siguen, me obedecen. And then we get down to verse 21, and he says, you know what happened to your, to your grandfather. You know that he was proud, proud, and God humbled him. And he says, yet you did not humble your heart, even though you knew it. So here's that third part of this rebuke. He saw God work, he heard God's word, but he did not understand, or he did not, or he, and he knew God's work, but he did not understand. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Jeremías 9, 23 y 24, nos dice esto. It says, if you're going to boast, he says, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, or a mighty man boast in his might, or a rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that he knows the Lord, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Jeremías 9, 23 y 24, ahí dice Jehová, no se jacte el rico en sus riquezas, o el fuerte en su fuerza, o el sabio en su sabiduría. Pero el que se jacte, jactese en esto, que me conoce a mí. How much you know doesn't matter as much as whether or not you know God. An illiterate preacher who doesn't know how to read knows more if he knows God because he knows God than the wisest professor at Harvard who doesn't know the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, he has made me wiser than all of my teachers. 
Belshazzar knew about God, but he didn't know God. He didn't seek to understand God. And so he did not humble himself before the Lord. Here's the good news. Jeremiah 31, 34, God says, I will make a new covenant with you. How many of you have entered into the new covenant? He says, and no longer will you say to one another, each man will not say to his neighbor or to his brother, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them, even to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That, the, the prophet Jeremiah there is prophesying the coming of the new covenant. And he's saying God is going to do a work in the lives of people so that no one will have to tell you to know the Lord. When Jesus comes into your heart, you will know God. You'll know the Lord. Say amen, somebody. Do you know the Lord tonight? And so here comes the rebuke. You have all these gods. Here you are drinking and partying and having this feast and celebrating and praising the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone. This is verse 23. Which do not see, they do not hear, and they do not understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Now listen. Because this is very important tonight. L notice what God rebukes. Note lo que Dios reprende aquí. He doesn't rebuke him for drinking and getting drunk. That's certainly a problem. He doesn't rebuke him for having a party. That's certainly a problem as we've seen. He doesn't rebuke him for idolatry. That's obviously a problem. Second commandment violated there. What does he rebuke him for? Pride. He says, you have not glorified the Lord. ¿Por qué lo reprende? No porque estaba embriagado, no porque era idólatra, no porque estaba en una fiesta pagana. Lo reprende porque no le dio gloria a Dios. El pecado original es el orgullo. The original sin of man, the original crime of man's heart is pride. He said, you, you saw God working, you heard God's word, you knew God's power, but you did not humble yourself to glorify the Lord. And so this is the interpretation of what's written on the wall. Many, many tekel ufarsim, verse 25. What does this mean? Most likely this was parts of the Hebrew language. God wrote in his own language to the Babylonian king. Verse 26. Th this is the interpretation of the message. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. Verso 26. Él le dice la interpretación many que significa que Dios ha enumerado tu reino y te ha puesto un fin. Tekel has been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Tekel significa que ha sido medido y estás deficiente. 
You've seen the, the statue of justice with the scales. ¿Cuántos han visto a la estatua de la justicia? What's on the scales? One side is you, on the other side is the standard. Sobre ese peso, en un lado está usted y yo, y en el otro lado está el, la medida. What's the standard? Well, there are three standards in the Bible. First of all is the, the law of God, 613 commandments. You can shave it down and just say the Ten Commandments is, is bad enough, right? La medida es primero los diez mandamientos. How do we weigh against that? You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not have any graven images. You shall honor the Lord. Not take his name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. We all broke that one before we were three. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Ah, too hard, Pastor. You're right, and it's even harder because the book of James says that if you violated one, we violated them all. That's why the Bible says in Romans, there's not one righteous, not even one. Then on the scale is another law. It's called the law of love. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever broken the law of love? Luego está la medida de la ley del amor. Amarás a Jehová tu Dios con todo tu corazón y a tu prójimo como a ti mismo. Tercero está Cristo, then there's Christ, the perfect, sinless man. Compared to Christ, none of us can weigh in. He says to the king, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. And the fact is, all of us have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. How then can we be saved? What does the Bible say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. The only way to measure up is to be in Christ because Christ alone measures up. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. Ufarsin of Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. While this party is happening, the Persians have surrounded Babylon, the city. They have stopped the waters of the Euphrates and come into the underground tunnels. And before the night is done, Belshazzar will not be king anymore, and Babylon will no longer be a world power. It will give way to Persia. And that will be the end of the party for Belshazzar and for the nation uh, of Babylon. Why? 
he would not honor the Lord God. Daniel, on the other hand, is, becomes the third most powerful person in, in, in Babylon and will ascend to power in the kingdom of the Persians as well. Will you dare to be a Daniel? Will you dare to say no to the feast, the party, the wine, the, the pleasures of this world and say, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to glorify God. It might seem like it is not as much fun. But I can promise you this, that the reward is great. God won't waste your life. Let's stand together tonight. If you have seen God working in your life, just draw near to him this, this evening. Maybe it wasn't a burning bush. Maybe it was just a word or a phrase or a pattern. Maybe it was God fulfilling a need in your life and answering a prayer. But if you've seen God work in your life recently, just right now, just do like Moses and say, I need to get close to God. I want to inquire of the Lord. Come and open your ear like the ear of a disciple. Say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. That's the most important thing in my life is to know you. Father God, we honor you tonight. We give you praise and glory. For you reign in the ways of mankind. In the dominion of mankind. You reign. Our days are in your hands. You know our needs tonight. You know our family's needs. And because you reign in the ways of man, today we know that you are working, that you are moving, that you are putting things in place. Father, tonight I pray you would give your people that confidence, that boldness that set Daniel apart. To walk with you, to inquire of you, and to hear your voice is a desire of our heart tonight. We thank you because you have been drawing us nearer to yourself in this season. And we say glory be to your name. We glorify your name, O oh God. For if it had not been for you who was on our side. We would, have given, we would have given way. We would have been crushed under the pressure. But we're standing today because of your grace and your mercy in us.